Today I have Gillian Reith from Three Sisters Bake. Gillian was my very first client when I launched Palompo PR and she is to this day such a great ambassador and great fun to work with. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. It is a long one and I have tried so hard to edit but I have just done my best because Gillian had so many great words of wisdom about growing her business with her sisters and all of the excitement and some of the issues they came across in between. Enjoy. Today I am with Gillian from Three Sisters Bake. Gillian and her two sisters launched their first cafe in 2011. Gillian, yes. welcome. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Tell me, two sis, three sisters in total, mm -hmm. starting a cafe in a remote village. Surely that seems completely bonkers. Well, everybody else, including our parents, thought that we were totally crazy at the time. Um, having come from, I suppose, more serious corporate jobs, um, which everybody thought we were sort of throwing away and jumping off the career ladder to be opening a business in a tiny little village. So what were the three of you doing before you opened your opened the first cafe? So I was working in Dublin in PR and marketing. Uh -huh. uh, Nicola, my middle sister, worked in pharmaceuticals. She was a project manager. Um, my youngest sister, Lindsay, had been working all around the world on luxury yachts. Wow, and sounds glamorous. Yeah, very much so, in ski chalets. So she was catering and chefing and cooking and doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where her love of food evolved. She, she started out as a chalet girl um, with no sort of knowledge or understanding of food and over the years of sort of traveling and working mm -hmm. in yachts and Okay, chalets, so you, you all went to university, jokes. you all have degrees? We did, yeah, yeah. We, Lindsay and I studied English, Nicola studied chemistry. Um, so and then yeah. you went into jobs and started the real world. And then what happened? Just got a bit of disillusioned with the real world, I think. Um, just coincidentally, all sort of seemed to take the same, come to the same conclusions about corporate jobs and sitting at desks, working at computers. We all sort of concluded Wasn't this for you. is not for us. Um, we'd all worked in hospitality all our lives. Mm -hmm. um, since we were 16, we all worked in a local cafe. So it came, so over a glass of wine, over a coffee, this Three Sisters Bake idea came up. Very much so, over lots of bottles of wine, in fact. <laughs> um, yeah, pre-children, pre we were able to go out. We used to socialise all the time together. In the old days. So tell me, if um, someone didn't know anything about Three Sisters Bake, yes. what, what is Three Sisters Bake? So we are a cafe and events business with a wedding venue. We've got two cafes, one at Quarriers Village, which is in Inverclyde, about 25 minutes outside Glasgow. The other one north of the city in a wee village called Calairn, again about 25-30 minutes okay. north of the city. Um, our Calairn Cafe is in a village hall, well both of them are actually bizarrely in village halls, the village hall in Calairn, we are also the exclusive caterers for um, weddings. Weddings? Yeah, so we do we do a lot of different things, we do off-site events as well and okay. we're now regular um, participants at Platform at the Arches. Okay, so you do food festivals and things like that? Yes. And you have a cookbook too, we'll talk more about that later, yeah. but you also yeah. have a recipe book. We do, yes. The, the cookbook was published in 2014. 
granny was a brilliant baker. My mum was a home ec teacher. So there's definitely baking and cooking mm-hmm. in our genes. It kind of skips me, unfortunately. <laughs> but Nicola sort of really had taken up the mantle of um, learning about baking from my granny and my mum. And had been doing that just at home, sort uh-huh. of, which while you're a student is actually quite unusual. Not that many students would have baking equipment no. in their flats. So she... She, she had the mixer. Enjoyed baking. Yeah, exactly. Enjoyed baking all through sort of her her student years and early twenties, and and around that time, sort of decided I'm gonna. It was when cupcakes were really emerging. Oh yeah, as cupcakes being were cool for a while. Absolutely, because of Sex in the City and Magnolia Bakery. <laughs> yes, yes. They were just showing our age here, Jill. Super, super trendy. So she decided she was going to start doing cupcake. So cupcake wedding cake, wedding towers were. She was doing this as a side. Every side person, gig. Yeah, every single person the... who got married, um, in that sort of time frame, mm-hmm. had a cupcake mm-hmm. tower yes. instead of a traditional wedding. I cake. had that for my twenty first birthday cake. I had a cupcake tower. Aha! Uh-huh. I thought I was so, so you. Cool. Yeah. I thought I you're was slightly so younger cool. than me, so it yeah. would have been around I, that yeah, time. It was that exact time, and I remember thinking my cupcake tower twenty first cake. Was it? Yes. So she decided, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing cupcakes mm-hmm. in my kitchen. She had her kitchen approved by environmental So she was doing health. this when she still had her full-time job. She still job. had this really full-on, full-on professional job. Well-paying job, I'm assuming uh-huh. it was like a, a horrific good... commute to Bathgate every day, backwards and forwards. Uh-huh. And then on the weekends or in the evenings was baking cupcakes for weddings. Wow. Uh-huh. And she had she sort of set up this website and with the aim of doing that eventually, or was she quite happy, do you think, at the time just this was her side yeah. gig? Yeah. And it was the thing she enjoyed doing. And if she can make a bit of cash, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. that's all good. Definitely. I think she she at some point wanted to leave her job and mm-hmm. launch a baking uh-huh. business initially. Um and then I suppose it all sort of came together. So you'd come home from Dublin going, actually, the PR gig as good as it was and the company yeah. was great and I really you know there was nothing bad about it just there was something hankering uh-huh. well, what actually happened I Dublin was so expensive to live in and I was living in sort of a new city I didn't know that many people I'd always worked as a waitress throughout my student life uh-huh. I waitressed all over the world when I was traveling and to me, that's just my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the restaurant world. So to sort of supplement my income when I was working in Dublin, I had a series of different part-time jobs in the evenings and weekends. Really? So I would really do like, main job. But... It was probably only like 10, 12 hours a week. It uh-huh. wasn't serious uh-huh. um, way to make money. But for me, it was just like a nice way to, mm-hmm. instead of on a Saturday night, going out and spending. Uh-huh. I mean, drinks over there were so expensive. Uh-huh. You'd have been bankrupt from one night out. So I worked in sort of nice restaurants or bars yeah. and earned a bit of money but also it was really it's a really really social environment it's a good social, working in a it's a good social life to have yeah. when you're new to a city uh-huh. so it was just a great way to meet people so I just did that um, and and even though I had my sort of proper 40 hour a week job I just thought why would I stop I would really enjoy it and then one day I was at my desk in the ski company and I just had this sort of realisation like I just prefer the the buzz of working in hospitality to the act of sitting at a computer mm-hmm. all day. I just think actually sitting at a computer is not what I want to do. And I like 
dealing with the problems that you encounter in a restaurant and the customer service and so all of that the environment just, everything about it I was just like I need to get back into restaurants that's what I want to do and at that point I certainly did not think I'm going to own a restaurant one day uh-huh. I just thought with your sisters because they both had different uh-huh. things uh-huh. going on one was overseas yeah, oh, totally. one was back in Glasgow yeah and we all point. lived in different places uh-huh. so I mean we were still at that point really close and used to uh-huh. There was no WhatsApp, so we'd be emailing and ah, huge emailing and waiting for people to come back. Do, like twenty-four page emails to each other. Oh, oh, here's what's going on in my life. And oh gosh, remember the email trains? That yeah, you <laughs> they were crazy. Was, yeah. One day, I think that I should go back into my defunct Hotmail account, find these email trains, and print mm. them and just turn them into a book uh-huh. it, as a Christmas present. Yeah. No, I want to sell it. I think there'll be some amazing <laughs> memoirs in there. <laughs> the, the trials and tribulations of all yeah. the romances that the have romances been gone. Career. Wrong. it'd be like my quarter life crisis um, <laughs> and you can email give it to your children in the future and say this don't worry it happened to me as well yeah so get so tell me what happened so you came home one sister's um baking cupcakes as a side hustle one sister's mm-hmm. decided to go and learn the absolute epitome of cooking mm. in a really established cookery mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. And then what happened? And so I, I had sort of decided, okay, I need to get back into restaurants because that is like, what that's enjoy. what I love. And, and I'll just see where that takes me. So I came back here and went back into working in a restaurant. And I thought I need to actually, like, so I'd, only as a waitress. Ever, I'd only ever waitressed. Um, I'd never even managed. So I thought, right, I need to actually kind of turn, to turn this into a career. Mm-hmm. I need to become, like, get to managerial level uh-huh. and supervise. So I started doing that, sort of taking more responsibility. Um and yeah I think by that point we all had moved back to Glasgow and maybe over the course of a few nights out we socialised a lot because at that point none of us had children so (laughs) we were sisters but we really were best friends and I think because we'd been living apart for years you enjoyed hanging out just yeah could not get enough of each other's company we just go out and laugh and laugh and laugh and tell stories and sort of discuss what are we going to do with our lives and the idea of let's turn these sort of passions that we have developed uh, into we've evolved into into a business how can we turn that into a business and yeah after like a few bottles of wine one night came away with obviously we need to open a cafe and just use all those skills yeah. so the skills being you being front of house managerial pr marketing uh-huh. um management of all of that kind of thing yeah. that naturally sat yeah. with you mm-hmm. with your middle sister the yeah. baking was her passion. Baking first and foremost, but her job had been very sort of Excel spreadsheets and understanding numbers and project management. And yes, Lindsay, very much the food yeah. part Foodie. of the puzzle. And also very creative as well. Yes, uh-huh. really creative. Okay. Um, so you, you came upon, right, this is it, we're going to open and Three yeah. Sisters Bake the name. It took you a long time to come up with that. We came up with a number <laughs> of horrific names before that evolved. Yes, we had many, many okay. duff, duff names. And once you'd settled on Three Sisters Bake, the uh-huh. location was next so the, if for people who have not heard of three sisters bake um the the three sisters are from they grew up in a village and went to school in a village called bridge of weir which is a lovely village in renfrewshire um and next to bridge of weir is a very tiny village probably would we call it a hamlet is it's, that yeah perhaps? at that point it had a population of less than a thousand okay. so yeah i think so probably. a tiny village next to bridge of weir called quarriers village so there was 
a lovely, I'm assuming it was originally a school, the building was originally it a school. It was, yes. Um, uh-huh. A long time ago and then it became a village hall and I think another restaurant had been in there for a number mm-hmm. of years and yep. then it was just an empty space. Yep, yep. So my parents were at that point renting a house in Quarriers Village. They found out that the restaurant who had been tenants of the building had moved out. We'd been looking in our minds when we decided to launch this, in our, it was happening in the West End of Glasgow. Which is the coolest part of Glasgow totally. at that time, the West End. Lots of footfall, lots of people. Yeah, there's students, there's uh-huh. schools, there's, you know, you've got, there's offices. Mm-hmm. Ideal, obvious location. Yeah, yeah. so, <clears throat> excuse me, we had decided it was going to happen in the West End. We'd yeah. started, we'd done a lot of looking around in the West End and for various reasons just finding it completely and utterly impossible there was a couple of places that we looked at um, in the now amazingly developed Finiston which at the time Uh, seven years ago the Finiston area of Glasgow wasn't wasn't an area that you would have invested in there was Crab Shack there Uh so he which is still really established Crab Shack really Really kind of turned that area into Uh what it is and everything else followed on so that was there and and we at that point recognized okay this is it was before the hydro so it was definitely an up-and-coming area we found a unit that we really liked had great potential and we were sort of progressed along the the lease process Mm -hmm. and because we were a totally unestablished business we had no track record financially mm-hmm. another big chain business came along obviously also kind of recognizing Finiston is, is the is next its way up. place yep. um they came along and basically stole the lease from us <laughs> and also your business now at that point was zero which you can totally you were... understand why the landlord of that building thought well would I let these three young girls who've never run a business uh-huh. take on a, a lease or will I give it to this big chain who totally know what they're doing? I don't hold it against them because I know yeah. if I was owning that, they, bus- that building, I'd have done it. It must same. have given you that, gosh, is that maybe not meant to be? Would that? No, I think at that time, I mean, looking back, yes, it does feel like that. But at the time, it was just one further kick in the teeth. Um, and it just seems like this is not going to happen. The the expense of property around the West End was making it completely prohibitive as well. We were really fixated on the cost of the rent. Uh-huh. And obviously. Uh-huh. Thinking right, you know, we can't we can't afford that, like certainly buyers road type rents, yeah. which now have escalated even further, but at the time they were out of our reach. So. And for you you didn't have investment behind you, I'm assuming. You didn't have a pot of golden coins that no. you were just dipping into. We had um a total of thirteen thousand pounds, which we had between the three of us saved from working a hundred hours a week or Lindsay off on her yachts. Uh-huh. Just absolutely working and doing nothing else so this was the only money you had to start with that was our combined savings and yeah we had no one we no one we didn't want to take investment we didn't want to take loans we were completely naive as well we didn't know that an average restaurant or cafe would cost hundreds of thousands of pounds to (laughs) set to to fit we just were like well we've got our thirteen thousand, which which is a lot, like of money. a lot of money, but in terms of what we were trying to do, it is an absolute drop in the ocean. 
um, you know, we'd have been laughed at by mm-hmm. most established businesses if we went and said that that's where we started. That's our third. But you, so the West End didn't work. There was not a location. There was not a budget that suited you. So what then yeah. threw you back to quarriers where you did open? So your mum and dad absolute, said that they had heard of somewhere. Absolute desperation. Like we just couldn't find anywhere in a location that we wanted that we could afford um, that was available that would have us without this track record established. Um, so we just took a complete and utter punt on... And it is a big risk to go somewhere that, that is risk. off the map for the majority. The only yeah. people that had heard of that village yeah. would have been people who lived locally to yeah. that village. It wasn't known. So our original business plan was that we would establish in the West End mm-hmm. or in Glasgow somewhere. And then we wanted to create a countryside destination version of okay. the business so it was always in our you're always wanting to do that but not to start with no 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 so we... PR background what I realized right from the start was that the thing that made ca- we, we really spent a lot of time looking at what made the successful cafes that we loved mm-hmm. what made them successful and what it was is quite simple, but you'll find that a lot of cafes, I mean, a lot of cafes open and shut down Mm -hmm. because they don't have all these elements. So you need great food, quality food. You need good customer service and waiting staff who know what they're doing. You need to create a nice sort of ambience, Mm -hmm. a setting, and that's to do with creating the right temperature, the right music, the right lighting, the right decor. And that's where a lot of mm-hmm. cafe startups yeah. fail because they don't have that. They might be started by a chef who does amazing food, but then you That's go in enough. and the place is cold and it has nothing on the walls and it's a horrible environment yeah. to sit in. So we were really, really focused on the fact that it needed to feel like a. We our, our sort of mantra was our philosophy was delight the senses. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if it yes. doesn't look, smell, taste, sound, what's the other sense? <laughs> feel good. <laughs> Nobody's going to enjoy sitting there. So everything, every box had to be ticked. Um, and then finally, the, the, the other piece of the puzzle was, sorry, good coffee. So at that point, mm-hmm. sort of the idea of artisan hand roasted coffee was like a really new yep. concept. Especially it's, it's in now, Scotland. Yeah, now it's, it's, now it's now quite established. But certainly at that point, that was a new thing. So for us to pay like you know, 25 to 33% more for a bag of coffee beans mm-hmm. than our competitor in the neighbouring village would have done for uh-huh. your average type of coffee. That was a big thing to do, to say, right, we're going to spend money on good coffee and bring that to yeah. the suburbs, I yeah. suppose. Um, and then finally, to put all of that together under the umbrella of a really strong brand identity mm-hmm. that sort of jumped out at people from the logo to our story Mm -hmm. and that we were three sisters starting a business together which even at that point I think I totally underestimated Mm -hmm. the interest that people would have in that that element that story Uh yeah for me it was all about the look of it you know it needs to have a really good looking website and the logo needs to look great yeah you have to get all the marketing boxes ticked Uh but you maybe just didn't even understand at that point how much interest there would be in you as three sisters and this is where we got together Mm. because I didn't know Gillian and her two sisters at all. A mutual friend introduced us and said, oh, you need to speak to um, these guys. They're opening a cafe in Quarriers Village. They're looking for some PR. And I'm not going to lie to you, I couldn't have rolled my eyes further. A cafe (laughs) 
in Quarries <laughs> Village and they want PR. I, could, I thought to myself, in no way is this going to be any good for a PR story. They're not going to have any budget to spend any money with me. Why, on earth, why on earth would I, um, at that stage when I was establishing as a um, freelance PR person, want to take this on as a side gig? Probably the, only, probably the only reason you did is because you were brand new as well. Uh-huh, exactly. So I thought, really, well, I have I'll to. go and meet them. I'll met, I met you for a coffee, I think, in Starbucks in Glasgow yes, City Centre. And I thought to myself, before I met you, I thought, there's no way three sisters opening a coffee shop in a remote village. That Where is the story here? Where is the story? That's what I thought. And I met three sisters blown away by their madness their enthusiasm and their drive. They were absolutely (laughs) driven and they knew exactly what they wanted. And what I do with all new clients is I say to them, fill out my very intensive sheet of questions. I give them all a question sheet and I ask them loads of things about what they've done in the past, what their first job was, all that kind of thing. And I will say, sum up this business in three words. And your youngest sister, Lindsay, had written, pipe, dream, realised. That's what she had written. I, I dug that out this morning. That's and such that's a what, Lindsay thing. That's what, it's such a Lindsay thing to say. If you know Lindsay, you know that she is very um, creative with her words, but she means absolutely yes. everything she says. She doesn't yes. say it if she doesn't mean it. And that to me was brilliant and it summed it up. And I asked them also mm-hmm. all to write down, you know, if you could have what would be the ultimate result of this cafe opening? What would it actually mean if you could really wish for something? And all three of them wrote, we really want a cookbook. Every single one of you wrote that. All of you wrote that. Because I asked you not to show each other. And you all sent me in your forums and you wrote, I really want a cookbook. No way. And I'm not going to lie again. Had a little bit of a smirk to myself thinking, girls, come on. I don't even remember that big ambition. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. I would have said my real ambition was just to still be here in a year. Yeah, exactly. To survive. Exactly. (laughs) And so they all came back with the same but different opinions and everything. And there was just something about them that was so exciting. So that is why I took them on as a client. And they were my first client as an independent PR when I went out on my own. And they were actually the springboard to me getting more clients because of the publicity and also because of their huge um, support for me by telling everybody they met, you need to speak to Lisa about PR. (laughs) She's going to help you out, which was great. So we got to grow together, which was really exciting. But And then as time rolled on, I would say our investment in PR at that point was pretty unique as a very tiny micro-business yeah. with our startup budget of £13,000. Mm-hmm. Which they gave all to me, which uh-huh. was so good of you. <laughs> I think because I'd worked in PR, I knew how important it could be. Um, and obviously at that point your mindset when you're starting a new business is i'm going to do everything myself yep. which we did pretty yep. much we were the people who well you were painting painted and knocked down walls and sort of scrubbed the place from top to bottom we did not have anybody that we could pay to do yeah. things like that for us you didn't have any contractors exactly yeah. yes but i think and i did definitely entertain the idea of doing it myself and then i just thought actually my entire network of contacts is in ireland I I don't know a single journalist. I don't know where to start uh-huh. with PR in Glasgow. So although I could have written press releases and sort of done the 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 writing and the creative part of it in terms of actually getting to the people who needed to know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known where to start. And I'm so pleased that I kind of realised that 
Because um, it was a leap we, of faith to do that, to it, outsource uh, it. But I wouldn't have outsourced it unless we'd, you know, that sort of friend of a friend's acquaintance had said, oh, you should speak to Lisa. I would have just tried to do it myself. Yeah. It would have been terrible. And I don't, I really don't think that we would be where we are today because the sort of springboard that launching with with PR behind us gave us has transformed the brand. Because your biggest um, development, and when we talk about the cookbook, I mean, how long did it take you to start the cookbook? Because that was the dream and that was (laughs) a complete wish. That certainly is. It sounds like a pipe dream anyway. Uh Um, So we opened in October 2011 and the cookbook came out in 2014. But the opportunity to write the cookbook came off the back of an article that you had secured for us with Red Magazine. Mm -hmm. So the photographer came up and... So she was from London. She'd been sent by Red Magazine up to photograph me. She was waiting for a taxi to get back to the airport, which was taking ages. And we were just having... She was Irish and had been to Australia and was really into coffee. So we were just having a great chat. And she said to me, you know, would you guys ever think about having writing a cookbook and I sort of laughed and was like well of course we would love to and at that point we had actually been looking into options of Uh self-publishing and something that would have been absolutely dire and would have sold two copies probably to our parents yeah Yeah. so it definitely was on our radar something we really wanted to do but you know the idea of actually approaching publishers was not we just thought everybody would laugh us out of the building so our only thoughts at that point oh well how can we do it ourselves and she said, right, well, I actually, uh, and she's an amazing, amazing food and travel photographer, I now know. I actually um, am I'm one of the main photographers for a publishing house called Hardy Grant in London. Do you want me to speak to my uh, one of the editors in there? And I was like, yes, You're like, please, please do. Do you want me to travel down to London with you now to convince And them? at that point, like, thank God this taxi was so late. We would never but have is had it, that conversation. Is that not what it's all about? When you're at that stage of business, it's, you know, you hadn't planned when this photographer comes from London today, I'm going to pitch a cookbook uh, to uh, her yeah, because yeah. we hadn't that wasn't crossing your mind your uh-huh. mind was I'm doing a photo shoot for this uh-huh. Red magazine that's that's it my main concern it's, at that point was that the uh, makeup artist had done like really heavy eyebrows and all I could think <laughs> about was my eyebrows look crazy and I'm going to be in a national magazine what's going on I was not thinking something good yeah, you will were, come out but of that's it. it it's like you didn't actually consider what that could have ha- what could have happened from that and I think that's where all these great business twists and turns come from uh-huh. and that's probably one of the biggest twists that has has come from our business but ultimately it came from came from PR um, and we already had behind us sort of a bit of a bit of noise which had been yeah. created by well it was the constant and the constant attention which was great I mean if you google three sisters bake now if you actually go onto any search bar and just type in three sisters bake hundreds of images will come up of you guys and then no, you've quite scary. Huh, and you've changed <laughs> and you've changed so much over the years because when we first started working together that was the bunting and the cupcake and the, oh, vintage the everything vintage was super everything era and trendy that, yeah and that yeah. was the look and we really focused on that because we mm-hmm. capitalized on it mm-hmm. but as time went on we we did realize that's getting a bit tired mm-hmm. we yeah. need to i think the words were sex this up a bit people are not into vintage yeah. bird cages yeah exactly so we, we moved on a bit and as you look at pictures of you guys over the years i love seeing that development because uh-huh. we did a great photo shoot when you were all on bikes and you all had chef's jackets on 
stilettos, leather leggings, huge blow dries, <laughs> and it is so the opposite to the cute photo shoot that we did the first yeah. day. And that's where you've capitalised on just changing things up a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think being being flexible and understanding what our customer mm-hmm. wants from us has been a big lesson in our business journey and I think a lot of businesses probably a lot of businesses doing what we do do stumble because of this because they go into it with such a defined idea of what they're going to sell and what they're going to offer and actually realizing that you need to tailor that slightly to the customer that you end up acquiring and not just being completely rigid about what it was you wanted to sell in the first place so what we Uh now offer is really quite well some of it's very similar and uh-huh. that our best-selling items are our scones and our quiche and it was always in our mind that scones and quiche are, are going to be at the heart of yeah. what we do and and so things around the outskirts mm-hmm. of the main yeah. kind of hero products I suppose would have changed but you definitely have to be adaptable to what your well, it's, real customers want as opposed to the ones that you dream of when you're writing your business When, when you write your business Because they plan. don't exist no. <laughs> other than in your head. <laughs> Leather leggings, huge blow dries, <laughs> and it is so the opposite to the cute photo shoot that we did the first day. Yeah. And that's where you've capitalised on just changing things up a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think being, being flexible and understanding what our customer mm-hmm. wants from us has been a big lesson in our business journey. And I think a lot of businesses, probably a lot of businesses doing what we do, do stumble because of this, because they go into it with such a defined idea of what they're going to sell and yeah. what they're going to offer. And actually realizing that you need to tailor that slightly to the customer that yeah. you end up acquiring and not just being completely rigid about what it was you wanted to sell in the first place. So what we uh-huh. now offer is really quite... Well, some of it's very similar uh-huh. in that our best-selling items are our scones and our quiche. And it was always in our mind that scones and quiche are, are going to be at the heart of yeah. what we do. And and so things around the outskirts mm-hmm. of the main yeah. kind of hero products, I suppose, would have changed but you definitely have to be adaptable to what your well, it's, real customers want as opposed to the ones that you dream of when you're writing your business when, when you write your business Because they plan. don't exist no. <laughs> other than in your head. Uh-huh. And you just hope to sell to them. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, leading on to mistakes. <laughs> oh, we've made loads of them. <laughs> We're great at mistakes. You're great at mistakes, but are you great from learning from them or are you that, great yeah. from moving on or both? Both. I'm so quick to move on from mistakes. Um... And I think it probably comes from having run a business. Mm-hmm. Even in my personal life, if I lose my purse, I just think, right, well, you know, something much worse could have happened. Mm-hmm. I could have lost my whole handbag. Exactly. So it's great. Exactly. It's just my purse. It's just my purse. And I just, that is how we think. And, and we're very much like we try and train all of our team to bring us solutions and not mm-hmm. problems. Um, and that has definitely come from, and not even just mistakes, like every single day doing what we do, there's operational issues yeah. that come up. And yeah, some of them are the result of mistakes, but some of them are just things that Bad happen. Uh huh. But certainly, we've we've made some sort of clangers, I would say, <laughs> over the and, years. And you you expanded. So you started in Quarriers. You've opened another mm-hmm. cafe in Calern. In Calern, which is yes. in Stirlingshire. So yes. it's quite 
far away from your current cafe. Yeah. And that like in some ways just absolutely mirrors what we do in Quarriers in that it's they're both about twenty five minutes, half an hour drive from Glasgow. From Glasgow in opposite directions into equally picturesque parts of the sort of suburban countryside yeah. accessible enough for people to drive to have that walk and the scone but yeah the the actual look of yeah. the cat they're both in village halls totally bizarrely um we we were approached by uh Calaire village hall is run by a committee of volunteers who are just an amazing amazing group of people so they were up. looking for somebody yeah, to they, take over their cafe or to start was there a cafe there originally there was, was a cafe there the 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 chap who ran that cafe had decided that he wanted to move on um so they were looking for a business who could run a wedding venue so the village hall operates as a wedding mm-hmm. venue one day a week the rest of the week it uh, holds badminton and scouts and yoga and all the things uh-huh. that village halls normally yeah. do it had had this huge overhaul millions of pounds had been spent on it they had they got a wow. great yeah they got a great um because it's a fabulous village i mean it's modern but it's got a heritage it's look it's absolutely kind of absolutely beautiful yeah so it had this architect designed extension put onto the side of it which is where our cafe is we're in this big sort of glass mm-hmm. um structure on the side of the old village hall mm-hmm. um so they needed the business plan which kind of supported the investment that they got to do yep. this renovation required that they had some way of making money to you know beyond just renting it out for scouts and yoga so they made weddings the core of that so they needed an operator who could come in and run weddings but also run a cafe so it's kind of two quite in the world of hospitality those things don't naturally they don't actually go together yeah however we had started wedding catering two years before and had been sort of building that up as so it was a natural fit and a natural expansion and in between all of that you've done a number of pop-ups in different places yes and have. you also you were part of the commonwealth games 2014 yeah. so yeah, yeah pop-ups and, you were, and events yeah, which so, was never part of the plan when we started the business like we're going to get really into events uh-huh. but i think probably the nature of our personalities we love doing but you new, like the challenge of things uh-huh. we're like um what are the birds that like shiny things i was gonna say pigeons we're not like pigeons <laughs> <laughs> You are very like pigeons. Magpies. Magpies. You're like magpies <laughs> who love the new and the shiny uh-huh. and, and we're easily kind of drawn uh-huh. to that sort of thing and we have to be held back, mm-hmm. I think, in the sort of the real uh-huh. nitty gritty of running the business. Like that demands so much attention and and for us events probably But the events of, are good because there I guess there's a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah, I mean it gives us the opportunity to constantly be doing new things and going to new new fields uh-huh. and setting uh-huh. up our, our offering in new locations. Mm-hmm. And also it serves a purpose of, of act as well as you know what we do is we uh, we bought a food truck, that was a mistake. Food truck. Three women who hate mechanics and vehicles like so I it hate, was a fish and chip I truck, hate, is that right? Originally it yeah. was a chip van. So chip van. Uh, we just decided we really wanted to do the Commonwealth Games. And you know that was the pipe dream at yeah. that point. We really want to be part of the Commonwealth Games. They're coming to Once Glasgow. Once in a lifetime. How are we, we going to be need part to be of it? it? Food trucks and street food was really like having, I mean, it's still having uh-huh. but that its, was, its that heyday. Was it was the beginning of it. Yeah. And it was really like a big thing in America. It's kind of coming to the UK. We were like, oh my God, we need to get on board we need this. the food truck. We need to get on board the food truck craze. Mm-hmm. We bought this old van. We didn't even look around at anything else. Just bought this van, um, which I now know maintaining a food truck takes 
so much effort and you have to do I mean it's really like it's physically hard work because you're doing things like changing gas bottles which is like you need like big guns to do that three of us basically just couldn't do it so it was physically demanding none of us were able to drive it because it was too big um, oh, so we did you need a special license to drive or did you just not feel comfortable driving it? None of it? us felt comfortable driving it. Um, so we had like we had to get my husband to drive it And us. he also runs his own business, yeah, so, so he's he really, wasn't really, really, available. really busy trying to just run his own business. And then I'd be like, oh, please, could you drive my food truck to Glasgow Green? And he's going, no. Uh-huh. Um, it, it required loads of like TLC in terms of looking after it. So... I, I can't say again that we it would be a regret because it brought so much to our business and people uh-huh. constantly still say to me, oh my gosh, I loved your food trucks so And you're much. thinking, I hated that thing. And the two years that we ran it, you know, we had just so, some of the best times. Uh-huh. It was hilarious because while you're kind of muddling around in a wet field trying to figure out how to fix the electrics uh-huh. for the 40th oh time, word. you know, it's, it's sort of like a comedy of errors. It was a bit uh-huh. behind the scenes. But you like, just- and we now have a weekly um, position at Platform at the Argyle Street Arches, okay. which is now kind of turning into... So it's a food truck without having to take a food truck. You've got a permanent base. Per- precisely. And, and it's amazing because we're part of this lovely, lovely... It's a good community um, sort there. Of street food yeah. scene and community. And they are all just... All the traders who are there are great. Mm-hmm. And, and the guys yeah. who own our Gaushi arches and who are running it they've got so many ideas they're like us they're just full of ideas constantly doing new things and it's just a really really when you're used to working on your own as a business it's, it can't not that it's lonely because there's the three of us and we have 45 employees there's a lot of people 45 not, employees yeah. oh my goodness so we're never lonely but I think it's nice to now be part of this sort of bigger business community and, and to be able to discuss the issues well, it sounds quite face. cheesy doesn't it to say that you're all like on the same journey we are though you are you're saying right yeah. this is we've got an established business we've got uh-huh. a lot of staff we're three people that are all feeding into what's next what, and that's the whole thing with yeah. the attitude that you guys have had over the years is what's next always and I guess that's is what I mean 2019 looks to be good yeah exciting we're really excited for for 2019 we've got some really exciting things on the horizon we've spent probably the last few years trying to discipline ourselves to we we called it better not bigger so basically okay. stop growing the business and make the current business okay. better and stronger. And that's all really boring behind the scenes stuff like our uh, finance um, sort of software. We, well, we didn't have finance software. We used to use Excel spreadsheets. So, so our finance reporting was all over the place. Uh-huh. So we've spent, I mean, I can't even imagine so you've how had long. to invest in the boring stuff. and people uh-huh. to help us do that. So a lot of stuff across the whole of the business that we've had to basically... That was actually through working with Business Gateway. They came on board and looked at what we were doing and they were just like, like you guys are just full of ideas, constantly wanting to do new things, but it's almost like you've tried to build a skyscraper without any foundations. You need to shore up what you've okay. done by putting proper business infrastructure in place. And that was all due to our inexperience. Yeah. So you didn't know how to run a business. We knew how to create an exciting product, yeah. an exciting brand that people would want to come to. But we actually had no idea. That would had to... no longevity if you carried on. Yeah, if we didn't understand that... cash flow and P and L and all of that sort of stuff. So if you spend far too much money, then the next year you're not going to have any, and then you won't have a business anymore. 
it, and I will say that we sort of made a profit probably by accident for the first few years because we really didn't understand properly what we were doing. So there's been a huge learning curve for us. So in you the last really, four you know, years. reined it in with the yeah. different developments of the business. And and I mean, it's been interesting in many ways learning about all of this kind of stuff. And I do now. I've, I've become a person who finds spreadsheets mm-hmm. and PLs totally fascinating because they are the future. Because if you don't look after that, then there is ideas for next year and year after. If will we never don't happen. understand how the money works. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, our middle sister Nicola has always had a much stronger uh-huh. handle on it. But I think she's found frustration trying to explain to us why yeah. when we're saying we want to go off and do this new thing, and she's like, "No, we can't because we need to make sure that yeah. that everything else has uh-huh. been stable." And with the number of staff that you've got, uh-huh. that brings other responsibilities. It's a huge responsibility. There's forty five people there. I mean, some of them are young and they're students, but a lot of them have families and mortgages to pay. If we're just yeah. going off on a whim, uh-huh. doing something new because we feel like it, and and then we sort of crash the business uh-huh. that's not good for all those 45 people yeah. or or for our own families yeah. so I think it's realising that actually by building a business that employs that number of people that we have sort of acquired this level of responsibility mm-hmm. which possibly for a while wasn't something that we wanted on our shoulders and it felt like a burden well when you start off as three people and I'm assuming uh-huh. you had maybe 10 staff to no start in, our, in our business plan we um, said that for the first year we'd have two part-time staff beyond ourselves we thought we'd have five people um, <laughs> and, and I think probably within the first year we ended up up about 15 or 20 so we were unbelievably naive in terms with of the support you needed the number of people that running a cafe or a hospitality business would mm-hmm. take it takes a huge number of people and they all need to be singing from the same hymn sheet they need to understand and that's what hard in doing. itself to make that actually a reality because you oh, can say this is so the kind hard. of ambience we want to create this is the type of personalities that we want people to be greeted by when they come into the cafe that's but the that- hardest thing about what we do is um the people management mm-hmm. and finding the right people in the first place and then sort of keeping them engaged yeah, and, and keeping people dealing with the you know the, the problems that come with people the more people we've got the more so everyone the more problems they have you emotions have. and they have problems life, life happens life, everybody exactly and and that none of us had a management background at all mm-hmm. we didn't have any experience in yeah. dealing with people management and that has very much been intuitive and it's been I suppose, you know, for me, I was referencing my previous employers, having to go back and think, right, how how do I apply the 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 lessons that I've learned uh-huh. from working with other work. places and, and be a good yeah. good manager I, and a good uh-huh. leader now? Because first of all, we were just managing when we were all working very much more in the business, in the cafe, I was the manager, Lindsay the chef and Nicola the baker. We were just managing this little team of waitresses and baristas but now we've evolved to the stage of business where we manage a team of managers yeah who are managing on your behalf Uh so we're now kind of we're leading Uh rather than managing and it's really another set of skills that we've had to learn and that's part of that age-old saying you've got to you know not work in the business business, on the business Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm assuming that's a lesson that's been hard to learn or has it come naturally or did you not realise you needed to do that? I mean, you've told me before in conversations you've worked with a mentor. You've worked with somebody who's actually helped shape you guys. Yeah, and and actually, so we work with a business coach um, called Mark Bradford Consulting, who's amazing. He he actually specialises, although this was not why we came to him, he specialises in working with 
family businesses. Okay. So he has a lot of experience in mm-hmm. sort of dealing with any family business disputes and things like that. <laughs> Not that we luckily have challenged him in that way, but uh-huh. we nearly made probably our biggest business mistake ever the day we met him. And, and I um, had kind of approached him to do um, mentoring. So he would have okay. just come and chatted with us uh-huh. for an hour a month and it would have just been sort of him as an experienced business uh-huh. person giving you the wisdom giving us exactly exactly so we weren't really planning we didn't have any budget set aside for business coaching uh-huh. um or consulting it's not been something we had ever considered yeah. doing um the, the first meeting that we had with him we were on the verge of signing a contract or a lease on a production kitchen and bakery at okay. Hillington which would have been a huge additional overhead. And when we were telling him, we were like, the sentence wasn't even out of my mouth. And he said, have you signed the lease yet? I was like, no, no, not yet. And he was like, you need to do everything in your power to stop that. You cannot take that overhead on your business. And he had just met you guys. Your business is not big enough. You need to, and we were saying, yeah, but if we want to expand to a third unit, which is what we want to do, we don't have the capacity in our current bakery to do that. And he went into the kitchen. He was like, this place is massive. You need to just reconfigure it. Use the space better. Are your bakers working 24 hours a day yet? No. Okay, you need to just change the way that you operate in your current structure. Don't just go off and decide that you want to take on yeah, what is the point another oh my really, goodness. really expensive building and the overheads that come along with that power and mm-hmm. you know everything that goes along with having another mm-hmm. location. Um, and he was just so passionate that we could that not do don't that. don't do it. We phoned up the <laughs> surveyor and said, like, I'm sorry, I know we've been in discussion about this lease now for probably two months. We need to pull out. Wow. <laughs> that, that is um, seriously... Um, well, you obviously just knew that this guy was the one that had the answer and you hadn't even realised it. Yeah. When he, he obviously was so... Just knew. And his, his experience uh-huh, had yeah. shown you... He's worked with a lot of sort of baking and hospitality businesses, wow. which is why I had sort of approached him. So if you hadn't actually approached him... I didn't approach him to say, is this a good idea? Should we take on this unit? Because we just thought it was a great idea. So um, you were just telling him as part of yeah, this, like, oh, right way, this is what we're doing and we're growing and we're growing and we're taking on this unit. And he's he's like, going, stop! stop! You need to wait until you're absolutely bursting at the seams. My goodness. You need to take on your third unit and... You know, maybe wait till you get to 10 units before you consider taking on a, a, a wow production unit. That is, you can't afford that. So that's a huge lesson before you made it's a, a lesson mistake, before potentially. It's a mistake that would probably... Because we might not have been talking about the business right now. It would now. probably have cost us the whole business, to be honest. I mm-hmm. think, looking back on it, it, it wouldn't have... We wouldn't have been able to... He was right. Um, and I suppose now that we understand because of the work we've been doing, trying to understand the numbers, which we're doing with him as uh-huh. well. Um, we kind of understand now why that was a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's like a sliding doors moment. I, if I hadn't sort of... If you hadn't reached out him, to make up the meeting in the first place yeah. and then met him... Uh-huh. And both my sisters were mortified. They, they, were, they, they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're just going to ask him to come and meet us and sort of mentor us for free. You're but so embarrassing, Gillian. Your big sister, you're such an... But that's, but that's that not just your attitude anyway. You kind of don't have a cringe factor. I, yeah, you I don't think, actually get embarrassed. I, Anything oh. I've ever tried to ask you to do from a PR perspective, <laughs> you say, as long as it works for the business, I'll do it. 
My sister's a nickname me Boris after <laughs> Boris Johnson because I do things. <laughs> they're like, no, yeah. but that's it. You I'm actually just, just have a shot. Does really embarrassing things and then like gets embarrassed afterwards, but it's fine. Well, sometimes it's fine. So, but in that case, it was definitely worth being Boris and just reaching out to him and saying, "Hey, I know it's a bit embarrassing, but do you mind coming and chatting to us?" And it turned out actually that he lived locally and he was a big fan of our business uh-huh. and he knew what we'd been doing and so he sort of jumped at the chance to come and meet us and hear more about the business so actually it did work out it really did well work and out. it has worked out because we now still have uh, an ongoing relationship <laughs> with him and, and have the coaching and I think that's that's a big thing that I would say is has turned our business around that the discipline of having to mm-hmm. to do the coaching meetings and, and sort of put in place official directors meetings mm-hmm. because yeah. when your sister's you know, meetings have, are over WhatsApp. We have directors <laughs> meetings all the time. Yeah, you're not <laughs> but having they don't structure. Have it, you know, they wouldn't have had any structure. They wouldn't have had an agenda. And they, they are interluded by talking about Nicola's babies not sleeping properly. Yeah, and she's, exactly. Yeah. It's not official. How can we troubleshoot that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So definitely it's added more structure to, to the business. And made us as sisters more business-like. <laughs> so three sisters... With the age gap between you all, three years uh, in between each? Two years between me and Nicola and three years between right. Lindsay and Nicola. So you're all kind of on the same page of life now because in the past seven mm. years, how many babies have you had between you? So Nicola and I have five babies between us. So Gillian was actually pregnant when you first opened your first cafe, but you didn't know, is that right? Or yeah. Were you, were you early? In, in a spectacular act of family planning, uh-huh. um, Douglas, had, oh, my husband, had just launched his business at the same time he's a jeweler he's got a, a jeweler shop on great western road called blair and sheridan they launched at the same time as we launched three uh-huh. sisters bake and then i found out i was pregnant <laughs> and just yeah, so you had your first baby within the first nine months of your business uh-huh. so actually it probably was again one of these things that sort of a, a happy uh, yeah. turn of events uh-huh. because i don't think at that stage of our business that we would have ever said okay now the time is right to take have a off, baby yeah, yeah to to stop and have a baby yeah so i think just sort of throwing that into the mix meant that but then you'd always known the business as being a mum yeah the business had never not been about being well because as soon as you're pregnant and you find out you're pregnant you're you've started being a mum already well and you, you know, have to give up drinking oh, so exactly that that's a huge issue <laughs> the beginning of the end the beginning of the end so you've already signed up to a new way of your life Definitely. It meant that considering life-work balance started at the very beginning because I think becoming a workaholic or being a workaholic is something that definitely comes naturally to me mm-hmm. and I would work a hundred hours a week if I didn't have kids. And then your sister I'd be consumed, I'd be divorced, my husband uh-huh. would have thrown me out of the house so because actually I forced would you. work all the time. It's forced you. Yeah. But you've now got three children. I have three children. And the ages yes. are uh-huh. how old so are I've got, your kids? Um, Rosie, who is six, uh, Harrison, who is four, and Finley, who's one. So you're you're a bit of a glutton for punishment then. Yeah. Three children while running the business and all the yeah. different trials and tribulations we've talked about. Yeah. The failures, the mistakes, the excitement. The I mean, you've been doing lots of um, what these food trucks and things with babies in a baby carrier or you know, oh, yeah, baby I mean, in the sidelines or have much, you tried to kind of that whole mum boss I can live and I can take my baby everywhere I mean do you buy into that does that send you in a spin of despair or do you think no I can take my baby everywhere and I can I 
can change no, the world. No, I definitely <laughs> don't now. I think when when I first had Rosie, I probably did think that, and I did a number of months where I worked. At, well, I worked in in the cafe two days a week, and I worked at home with her two mm-hmm. days a week, and thought that was totally manageable. And then, yeah, I'd be doing. At that point, we did farmers markets, which were sort of the the very early yeah. evolution of our events business. Yeah. I'd take her in the baby Bjorn and be doing farmers markets uh-huh. and selling cakes with her there and. Yeah, there was definitely a lot more like baby in the office mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah. in the early days. And I think just as we had more kids, we sort of realised it's not fair to them to mm-hmm. drag them into work. And also, you don't get anything done when there's kids yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's only when they get to a certain age that that is yeah. possible. Yeah. So but I think I'd always imagined when she was younger, you know, when she starts school, which she now is at school, I'll go and pick her up from school and I'll bring her to the cafe and she'll sit in the cafe and she'll just do her homework really serenely. But <laughs> I then realised actually, you know, the type of child she is. Well, children get home from school and they're either awful or amazing and you don't uh-huh. know how it's going to And they pan don't out. sit quietly doing anything. I've been in a meeting and she's... And yeah, they've got... Yeah tennis and swimming and everything going on yeah. in the homework or they could be in a really grumpy mood or they're randomly being sick I mean you can't mm-hmm. bank on that so you can't run yeah. a business on the basis that they're going to be there yeah. so my, my idyllic vision that that would be a thing has never panned out mm-hmm. like we keep our kids very separate from our work mm-hmm. um, but I guess it's fair for the staff you've got so many staff it's not uh-huh, and a lot of them have family families. Families. it's not a good um, sort of standard to say it that no. I think it's fine to uh-huh. bring my babies to work but then I guess your sisters have got to watch you and figure out how to do it themselves yeah. with their children That's, it's definitely been a process of, of evolving and, and when you've got one baby you can be a bit more of a workaholic yeah. Yeah. but then when they get older I think in my naive mind, I imagine parenthood will just get easier and easier and easier as my kids get older. Mm-hmm. And I thought the they would get easier when they go to school. I had thought, uh-huh. as soon as my children go to school, it's going to be so much easier. Uh-huh. I mean, you will school have, you is like free childcare, child yeah. is what I thought it totally. was in my mind. Um, and I could not have been more wrong um, from that perspective, because as soon as they go to school, I mean, Jill and I were talking earlier today just about your kids and emotions and coming home from school telling you about things that have happened and you're thinking yikes uh-huh. we've got to deal with that now yeah. we're no longer worried well you're still a bit doing the old nappy changing and the teething and all that kind of stuff but yeah. once that's all passed I think because I can now bit... see both ends of the spectrum yeah. I'm doing the nappy changing and the teething which is really in full force at the moment with Finlay but then also dealing with the and now Rosie's in primary too but the start of her starting school, I just didn't appreciate, like, emotionally and in terms of the routine that we Mm. had kind of established in our family, how much it would turn everything upside down. And the baby and Rosie starting school happened at the same time. Uh So it really was, I mean, there's been a process in my personal life of sort of a a realisation that we needed to totally readjust Mm -hmm. the way that... And I think this happens with kids that you, every... Every year, every season, but you I have think to change your routines to, yeah. and evolve. And I, I definitely think, because I started with my business thinking, all right, this is the childcare we're doing now forevermore. That's yeah. it. We're always doing this. Mm. And I very quickly was reminded by a lot of wiser, smarter people than myself who are more established in their careers and their stage of life is just go with it for a season or a school term. So the school term between yeah. now 
and Easter is this. This is our uh-huh. routine. Yeah. And be totally flexible yeah. that after Easter to summer it will change. Summer yeah. holidays is a whole problem in itself. But whatever and realizing is, that they're on holiday all the time. All the time. They're actually, you think it's free childcare. In fact, they're never exactly. at school. Exactly. <laughs> and it's all of that. And I think when you're trying to run your business and it's not about the mum boss saving the world thing, which I don't buy into. And I think maybe when I first had a baby as well, I thought the same. I can take my baby everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can't. It's not fair in them. It's not fair in you. It's not fair in the people you're charging the money to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you're actually dragging around a child. Mm-hmm. So- relationship has been put under pressure is just when the business has been. So when we opened Calern, for mm-hmm. example, I went on maternity leave the day we opened Calern. I was. Open. Yes, I was I was doing photo shoots with you. Yes, um, we were we were launching Claire, this new venture, really really exciting, and it was super mm-hmm. exciting. And I was due a baby the day before, <laughs> so yes. because Claire was so far away from my hospital and, in Paisley, and, yes. I got sent home immediately after the photo shoot, and it honestly felt like I've just. I've, it was like sending lambs to slaughter. I, you know, I'm sending my sisters to now. The most exciting thing about a new launch is the run-up to it and all the exciting uh-huh. stuff. The then actual opening you, the door and welcoming the customers is a nightmare. Yeah, because <laughs> then you have to start dealing with the problems and the things that you haven't foreseen yeah. and the things that haven't worked. And you went, bye, I'm and off I to have like, a baby. okay, I'm going to have a baby. And, you know, I just felt... Like, I was actually crying on the way home and I had to... Um, so the night before we opened I had to phone my husband and say I've been sent home because we're trying to finish the renovation we weren't ready to open um, can you please I know that you're at work but can you please go straight to Claire and, and you're like you're really practical and he's he's just really good at mm-hmm. sort of hands-on things can you please go and help them the place is absolutely all over the place and I've they've sent me home um, I, I can't leave them on their own to do this and, and it was kind of I felt like that my whole maternity leave with Harrison I just knew they were under so much pressure um, you know the business had in that year had just sort of exploded mm-hmm. that was the year we had the cookbook out and we did a pop-up at Finlaston Estate for the summer we went straight into Claire and it was like go 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 basically we just didn't have enough people working for us mm-hmm. so the two of them ended up doing five Everything. people's jobs and I was off having uh-huh. a baby and I think when you when you're put under that amount of pressure yeah. unless you have the communications skills mm-hmm. to deal with it and mm-hmm. to vocalize yeah. this is how I'm feeling and I'm feeling like I hate the business or I can't cope with this and we didn't you or know, we I feel like how from to... a family perspective like am I being taken advantage of here like do I feel like I'm being marginalized and it's hard and these are tough There's things to huge deal with numbers of emotions going mm-hmm. on and also to feel you feel a guilt to the business mm-hmm. the, the business to us is like another baby mm-hmm. so to, to feel yep, like it was I don't you know there's parts of my baby that I don't like anymore mm-hmm. and they're making me mm-hmm. sad or huh. and de- it's, depressed and it's, or and it's I don't all of this to. stuff when you're a family and sisters that could really you could have a blowout. Well, you feel like almost to confess to to that to your sisters is to be, um, you know, like you're sort of cheating on the business yeah. or something. To yeah, think. yeah. Um, um, and you don't know that are the other two feeling like that. So we again, 
sort of embarked on basically like communication uh-huh. skills uh-huh. and having to vocalize to sit in a room and yeah. be told sort of guided through the process of like how do you feel about mm-hmm. this how do you feel about this and it's kind of equipped us now with the skills I feel to deal with problems yeah. and stress as it gets thrown at us and we are so much better now but you've grown up seven years yeah. ago I mean <clears throat> I think the problem was we were so concerned about our sister relationship and never wanting to say I don't agree with that or yeah you don't want to fall out uh-huh yeah so you kind of like maybe if two, the, two, the other two the good thing about it being a three is that we're kind of a democracy so yeah. two people can outvote the other yeah. one but yeah if you can see that the two two of them really want something then it's hard to be the person who's yeah. like, I really don't. But then if you think it's the wrong that, thing, you've got to. And I guess which we do now, and yeah. that's the thing that's changed is that we're actually really, really brutally honest, probably mm-hmm. with each other, and we don't argue about it because it's. I think we just respect each mm-hmm. other's opinions, yeah. and we can have difficult conversations where we're saying, <clears throat> I don't necessarily uh-huh. agree, or that to me doesn't seem like the best and, way to proceed. And then you can. And well, then we leave the meeting and we're still yeah. friends and we're still sisters and, and put realising, I think, also that for us, the most important thing about our business has never been money or success or, or any of that stuff. It's always about being... We, the reason we started a business together was because we wanted to work you together to as work sisters. Together. And ultimately, if we ever got to a point where we sort of tarnished a relationship... Then it's not it worth it. Not, you know, I'd rather just go back to being a waitress yeah. than pursue the business any further because it's not worth it no absolutely not definitely not so how do you chill out do you not chill out by listening to business podcasts like <laughs> yours <laughs> Jill well done business podcasts relax you but no how I mean I, I do, know my you husband are, thinks I'm a total loser well, that's what I listen to in the car <laughs> but you do I know you're a runner do you still run or have you not run in a while? I get, no, sorry. I go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I love doing... I do body balance, which is like a mix of yoga and Pilates. Uh-huh. And again, my husband's always like, would you not go and do some cardio or something hard? And you're like, no, because no, I'm brain I is working overdrive. I find... Yeah. So uh, traditional yoga probably is a bit slow for uh-huh. me, but body balance is like a kind of speeded up uh-huh. and more intense version. And I love it. And I try and go three times a week. And trying to do that when you've got three kids is actually quite a discipline mm-hmm. and the two of us between my husband and I we have to we have like a timetable of when who <laughs> goes to the gym Jill give me your three big highlights of three sisters bake so far oh is that a hard one I didn't give you any warning on that yeah oh three highlights of three sisters bake you can't just is. name your sisters so definitely a moment um getting the cookbook deal was uh, and the launch of the book mm-hmm. it, as Lindsay said pipe dream realized yeah it, it was just awesome and it looked so good we're so delighted with it still I'm still proud of that book um the Commonwealth Games we we had this moment at the end of the Commonwealth Games where the three of us were watching the red arrows flying over the games and we were actually just all standing crying because the act of turning that food truck from a fish and chip van into a functioning <laughs> and how branded stressful it had been three sisters yep. bake van and just like really acing it if I don't say so myself it was so relieving and and the experience had been amazing like we knew taking part in the Commonwealth Games would be yeah. amazing and it was so that definitely is is up there um 
I feel like I should say something more recent now because they both happened in 2014. Then they still keep, <laughs> they still keep with you. <laughs> um, probably the kinds of... Uh, we're, we're, we've been having loads of exciting chats about new projects that are on okay. the horizon at the moment, which are, are, are not totally finalised, but I can say that we are opening a new unit Okay. Which is the first time we've done that since 2015. Okay. So, so 2019, there will be a new Sisters Bake in some format yeah. somewhere. So I think... <laughs> that is not helpful. We need more information or the, we can't say anymore. It's, it's, a new, it's a new format, an evolution of what's okay. you know, still very much like our, our cake and bake ethos at the heart of what it is okay. but like a really different look and feel new branding and again it was one of these sort of epiphany moments for the three of us where um we were watching Lindsay gathered us all together to watch this documentary and she was like I think we need to do this and at the end of it we were all just sitting with huge smiles on our face Wait, and we were it. like that is it Amazing. We so we will watch new will, direction. So new we've got big news for 2019. Yeah. And new um, voom. Okay. Well, we will watch and listen with these now. How do we find out more about Three Sisters Bake? Your website? Yes. So our website, um, threesistersbake.co.uk. We are super active on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, both of which are just. Three Sisters Bake. Does what it says. So we will be, yeah, we will be announcing as soon as we have more formalised <laughs> details, we will be announcing um, very exciting things to come in 2019. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Palompo PR, the podcast. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to everything that was mentioned in today's episode. Follow me on Instagram at Palompo PR and subscribe on iTunes to this podcast.